Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 181 of Allied Strategies. My name is Tristan. Joining me, as always, is my friend, Benjamin. Hello, hello. And my friend, Samuel. Hello. Uh, welcome, welcome to the show. This week, we are going to talk about modern. We're going to talk particularly about Is It Phoenix. Uh, we're going to talk all about really attacking Is It Phoenix in the metagame. Um, that's going to be our main topic. But first, we get to thank our good friends of the podcast over at Patreon.com. Adam, Matt, Sean, Brett, Britton, Kyle, Caroline, Eric, Winchester, Zach, Sam, Duncan, and Will. Thank you for your continued support. Our Patreon question of the week this week is empty. We're, we're moving away from me making up random questions when we don't have one, and we're instead just going to answer questions as they come in, but otherwise just leave this space empty, uh, which will create more room for segments such as our flagship segment, Card of the Week. Sam, what is your Card of the Week? My card of the week this week is Darksteel Forge. It is a nine mana artifact originally, I think, from Darksteel, I guess. Uh, It was also reprinted in M14. And uh, it says your artifacts are indestructible. It doesn't do anything other than that. It costs nine mana. And uh, I actually played this this card in uh, in the Grand Prix this weekend in the sideboard of my... uh, I guess five color were deck uh, as a way to beat Shatterstorm and multiple people who I was playing with or like who, who I played against or who I was talking to about the deck didn't know this card existed. And when I told it, like I told them about it, they were like, Oh, does it have like convoke or, you know, like uh, affinity? Like, does the cost get reduced in some way? And the answer is no, you just, you word out for nine mana. You, you, you know, you get to nine artifacts and, cast an x equals nine were and uh it helps you beat shatterstorm and this was a card i would never have imagined i would register in a tournament but i i thought it was pretty cool that it showed up as this sort of hyper specific answer to a problem so i was pretty into that did you know that people were next leveling though some people played consulate crackdown in their sideboards i i had never i had never se- didn't encounter that so that's lucky well, what is that one do you card that is a five mana enchantment that when it enters the battlefield, you exile all other artifacts, I believe, maybe just your component, your opponent's control, uh, until it's like an O ring for all artifacts. I see. So, it, Darksteel Forge does not protect from it. That is a very cool card, but I'm sure not anywhere close to as cool as your official card of the week, which is. That is true. My official card of the week is Spawn of Mayhem. You know, Spawn of Mayhem's cool because it has creature type Demon. And it's a 4-mana four 4-4. Four, four. It's a Mythic Rare from Ravnica Allegiance. Uh, it has Flying and Trample. At the beginning of your upkeep, Spawn of Mayhem deals 1 damage to each player. Then, if you have 10 or less life, put a plus and plus 1 counter on Spawn of Mayhem. And it has Spectacle, where you can... Uh, for, for 1 BB. So if, you, if an opponent has lost life this turn, then it gets 1 mana cheaper. And I was just talking about this card because I feel like this is like one of the more underplayed cards in Standard right now. I feel like, uh, you know, I, I tried building some decks uh, around this this card when I was grinding up on Arena, you know, just for funsies, just to flex my, my deck construction muscles a little bit. And, you know, when you play this card on turn three, it is really good if it doesn't get immediately lava coiled. Um, like, it does a lot of damage very fast, and it survives the commonly played sweepers like Deafening Clarion and um, Cry of the Carnarium, which are, like, the two two big ones for for three mana and then uh also this card just like goes over the top of the the white weenie deck which is like pretty vulnerable to flyers uh and if you play against mono red you know normally you might think that since this card deals damage to you it's not very good against mono red but it actually just like kills them in three turns or something so you often just get to play in such a way that like they have one turn to top deck burn and if they don't they just die whereas you know, a lesser card in this spot might give them five turns to top deck burn or something like that. Um, so yeah, I've I've been enjoying playing with this card. I think uh, I think it, it's a little bit of a sleeper right now, and uh, I've especially been liking it in best of one where you just don't run into as many lava coils. All right, my card of the week is Gate Colossus. Gate Colossus is eight uh, generic mana for an eight eight from Ravnica of the Allegiance. It's uncommon. Uh, and it costs one less to cast for each gate you control, and it also can't be blocked by creatures with power two or less, and whenever a gate enters the battlefield under your control, 
you can put it from your graveyard on top of your library. Now, this card, of course, a very powerful card in the like Gates archetype in Ravnica Allegiance draft. Um, but I wanted to mention this because now Ravnica Allegiance is back in rotation as our best of one ranked draft format. And one uh, pattern that a lot of players have noticed with the way that the bots are uh, prioritizing cards is that the, the gate deck in particular is relatively open relatively often. And so drafting uh, gate colossuses, I guess gate colossi, um, gatebreaker rams, uh, all the gates, the archway angels, that kind of stuff, uh, can lead to a higher degree of success on Magic Arena than it might in paper drafts because uh, the bots aren't very reactive to them. Like they, they, in order for their pick orders to change, they have to like have a manual update to how, how they value cards, I believe. Uh, they don't like adapt to the metagame dynamically. So uh, one one strategy that you might find success with in Ma- in Ravnica Legion Best of One drafts is drafting this uh, like gate deck, almost like forcing it. Even uh, I've seen people pr- proposing, and uh, I've had a little bit of success doing that as well. I, I think it's uh, absolutely a-, a viable strategy on on Arena. Just be careful then to not necessarily you know do that when you go to a paper draft because uh, you you might get punished for doing that. It's okay. We don't have any examples of really good limited players playing only arena draft and then losing horribly when they play um, high-level real drafts. <laughs> That's never happened. Yeah, it, it is an interesting problem that arena kind of has. I mean, it's it's not really a big problem or anything. Like, this is, this is a minor, like, on the edges of the format. Like, this one deck is maybe a couple percent better on arena than it is in paper. It's not like a huge glaring issue or anything. It's not like you can't succeed drafting other decks, but... It definitely feels like it's a little bit uh, like the fact that the you have this bot drafting model uh, means that there is going to be this vulnerability every time they make a set that the bots will just leave a deck open uh, in a reliable fashion, and that's going to be something that they, I guess they have to work look out for. Yeah, the way I felt about arena, I guess for like test as far as learning about paper magic is that it's a great way to learn how the cards play, like you get a really good sense of how powerful is this card in a limited environment? How good is it? But it's not a very good way to learn how to actually do the drafting. Um, Like I think, like you said, the gates deck always being open is the perfect example. It's really good to learn how, what a powerful gates deck looks like, how it functions, what are the cards that make it tick? And then when it is open, you'll probably have a good idea, a good sense for how to draft it. But I think you, you will miss out on your evaluation of how often it is actually going to be open and how correct it is to do something like force it. Yeah, it's it 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 does it is something that limits players who practice exclusively on arena, uh, for sure. All right, moving on to our main topic now. Uh, we are gonna we're gonna discuss modern. We're gonna end up meandering over towards talking entirely about Ar- Arclight Phoenix. Um, is it Phoenix? That strategy is the the. The main topic, but we're going to start by kind of just doing a, a broader overview of the format. Um, Sam, you recently competed in a in a Magic Modern tournament. How did that go for you? Uh, I would say frustratingly. Um, so I played the War deck as I mentioned earlier, and I went nine, four, and two. Ooh. And Ooh, hate yeah. To- that is For two some more context, draws than you've had in the past, like, thousand matches or something. Yeah, I've played about 100 individual Grand Prix in my life. And I believe I have one lifetime unintentional draw at those at the Grand Prix that weren't Grand Prix Tampa. Um, so getting two in one tournament was an extremely frustrating experience for me. Um and mostly, you know, had to do with the fact that the 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 war deck can be a little slow to close out games. Um, a lot. Of, it felt like in the spots where I was getting the draws, my opponents were taking a lot more time than I was. Um, and I think I was probably not as good about asking them to play faster um, and things like that. Um, but it, yeah, it, it was pretty frustrating. It felt like I just felt kind of powerless because you know I had I'd have like. Uh, like one of the games was against Tron. I had, uh, I had a damping sphere in play, Chalice on one and two, uh, Crucible of Worlds and Tectonic Edge. So they were just ne- they were never getting anywhere, um, but they just kept playing, which is totally fine. That's what they're allowed to do. But I probably should have been prodding them to try to make them play a little faster, um, and that that was a little frustrating. So 
I thought the deck was good otherwise. How are they playing slowly? Like, can't they just not cast any spells? No, they had eight, they had eight cards in their hand. They would, you know, draw a card, tank for a bit on what to discard, all all that sort of stuff. And one thing I also noticed, which is uh, not something I have a lot of experience with, was once I was in the draw bracket, all of my opponents were just a little bit slow at doing everything. Like, just a little, you know, take a little a little longer to draw their opening hands. Had sort of habits that slowed the game down like rather than just tapping their lands they'd sort of fiddle with them a bit and then tap them just all sorts of stuff like that um that, that, that actually I, is the sort of stuff that drives me up the wall mm, yeah, like, yeah i don't I, mind i don't mind people like taking a long time to to think but like somehow the like just the slow physical i don't know maybe i'm maybe i'm a speed elitist or something but like the just slowly moving your hands and slowly taking game actions just like drives me up a wall yeah, yeah, it was pretty annoying. Um, crack fetch and then do like twelve full riffle shuffles and then present deck um, is a pattern that I've cer- certainly seen in the draw bracket. Um, yeah, it was it was a lot of just little things like that, or just think think while you're tapped out. You know, like they're tapped out, they're going to untap and draw for their turn, and there's no real reason for them to be thinking. Then they should wait until they draw their card and have more information before they think because they. You know, they'd think for a bit, untap, draw their card, then think for a bit again because they just drew a new card and they have to, you know, rethink whatever they thought about. So just sort of habits like that. And I would say you would do well to avoid the draw bracket because I believe the first draw uh, makes it much more likely that you get the second, which was frustrating. Yeah, I, I, I saw your tweets at the time and I could feel the frustration oozing from those. Um, but let's talk a little bit about, so your, your deck choice you were generally happy with. What was it about... Uh, were that made you want to play it for this tournament um so i i picked it on kind of a lark i had played it a bit on magic online and was doing pretty well um mostly i thought it was very well positioned against is it phoenix dredge um and to a lesser extent sort of the humans type decks uh like aether vile decks i guess um but those were less of a consideration for me than than the dredge and phoenix matchups um, which I expected to be at the top tables and, you know, comprising a large percent of the winner's metagame. And uh, I think I was right. I went 2-0 against Phoenix and 1-0 against Dredge. So I didn't, you know, I didn't play them a ton. But if I had had a better record, I think I would have played them a little more often because that that did seem to be sort of the story of these tournaments was that is it Phoenix, Dredge, and Death Shadow were the the sort of dominating decks in both Grand Prix Tampa and Grand Prix Bilbao. Yeah, a lot of um, so, Faithless so Looting, you... particularly, being the the key overlap between uh, much of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so would would you say your deck was more of a, you know, it was a either 12, it was either a 13-2 or 10-6, or 10-5, yeah, 10-5 sort of deck rather than a middling 11-4 deck? Or... No, not really. I mean, part of it is I think it's just, it is actually a pretty good deck. Like, I think the cards in it just are pretty powerful and combine well to do something that you're you're you generally want to be doing um but there was being in the draw bracket definitely hurt me um one of the weakest matchups for the deck is cryptic command and i ended up playing against two cryptic command decks um so i lost to a wilderness reclamation deck that was pretty cool um it was playing like four cryptics and a bunch of ways to tutor for Cryptic with uh, Mystical Teachings and Snapcaster Mage, and sort of just generally a high curve, so they're pretty resilient to Chalice. Um, so de- decks like that can definitely be problematic. But I, I honestly, I'm thinking of I'm playing in the uh, Modern Playoff this weekend, and I'm thinking about running back my deck for that. I think I think it's still well positioned, and I think that. Even the like, you know, the matchups that don't seem great, you have a pretty good plan for. Um, aside from the cryptic command decks, you don't have to worry about draws on Magic Online either. Yes, that is true. That is a big factor. Yeah, and these decks that like want you to spend a lot of time, you don't get punished in Magic Online, right, for spending forty percent of the clock, um, like of the total clock. Whereas in paper, you do draw some games by spending forty percent of the total match time instead of twenty percent. Right. Exactly. Um, all right, so that's that's the War Prison deck. 
Now, the biggest deck of the tournament, though, was Arclight Phoenix, right? Uh, Is it Phoenix was the the primary, the, the deck that, it, it didn't win a, mer- a majority of, of people playing it or anything, but it, it had a plurality. Um, something, it was what, like 20% of the decks in the top 100 were, uh, were Is it Phoenix? Yeah, I'm not sure on the exact metagame breakdowns, but when I saw the day two breakdowns, it tended to be around 20%. Is it Phoenix? And worth noting, I think, Is it Phoenix won Grand Prix Tampa, Grand Prix Bilbao, and SCG Philly, which were all modern events. Yeah, so it's, um, it's a, a deck that's represented more than any deck in recent history has been in modern. Um, and it's also winning, which is often, it's often, difficult in modern for a deck to be so popular and also so winning um because usually that causes a a, you know immune response from from the format um and we're going to talk a little bit this episode looking back at yeah sorry looking back at also one grand prix la so it's not like people shouldn't have been prepared you know yeah exactly like this this deck has been and it didn't do well in uh, oakland as well oh yeah yeah ilicus east won oakland so yeah it's it's really been having very strong putting up consistently winning results at, uh, at a lot of consecutive tournaments. Yeah, so we're, we're really, we're getting to the stage now where, like, if this deck doesn't get dethroned soon, um, I think people are going to have a very strong argument for it, receiving some bans of some kind or other, um, because it, it's just, it, it like, Modern is supposed to be this format. Modern has been this format where Wizards has been really happy when, like, the bi- the biggest represented deck was, like, 5% of the metagame. Um, and where a different deck would win every weekend. Uh, it would be like somebody coming in with their tuned build of their pet deck that they've been playing for five years. And right now, Is It Phoenix is kind of warping that. Um, and it's not it's not the sole offender. There, you know, Dredge is a, a deck that you could make, you know, if were it not for Is It Phoenix, might be doing the same thing. Um, but it definitely seems like Is It Phoenix is currently the dominant strategy uh, that people are going with. So uh, we're going to talk today about... Uh, how you could go about beating Is It Phoenix at a modern tournament uh, without just completely sacrificing your chance to win the tournament in, in general, right? Because that's not a... Like, if, if you just design your deck to be 100-0 against Is It Phoenix and lose against the field, um, you're going to still get smashed because Is, Is It Phoenix is still only 20% of the field. And if that goes up to 30 35%, you're still not going to be winning tournaments by just preying on it. So you need to... Like, you need to have a strategy that is good against Is It Phoenix and the field, right? And you can sacrifice a couple percentage points against the field if you gain a bunch against Is It Phoenix. But um, really, we're, we're looking for a way to resiliently attack Is It Phoenix. And uh, Ben, what, what is, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you're told that your job is to, to beat down Is It Phoenix? Well, I think that there are a few different, like, sort of macro strategies that you can take. Like, I think there's a few weaknesses that you can try to exploit. Uh, I think the first thing that I would do is to just note that Thing in the Ice is a very effective tool, um, and it can be extremely powerful against certain decks. So if you want to beat Is It Phoenix, I think you should... Like, one way to do it is to just pick a deck that um, Thing in the Ice does not profitably interact with, or um, hopefully just restrict the, the its potential to, like, the bare minimum. So, like, one deck that comes to mind, uh, just as an example, is, like, the Ad Nauseum combo deck, right? Like, if you're playing Is It Phoenix and you, and you queue up against Ad Nauseum, then, you know, your Thing in the Ice is, like, a Suspend 2, 7, 8 that, like, well, sometimes Suspend 1 if you're lucky, but also you just, you, you have to cast spells, like, sometimes you even have to do it on your own turn in order to remove ice counters from it, and it's just slow and clunky because it doesn't really do anything against the Ad Nauseum deck. Meanwhile, the Ad Nauseum deck has a bunch of tools in place to make sure that it doesn't uh, it doesn't die early. Um, so, like cards like Phyrexian Unlife or whatever um, really make the the Is It Phoenix deck of like attack you for uh, ten like twice on turn four, like once on turn four and once on turn five. Like that's just not a very good strategy against Ad Nauseum. So I think like that deck in particular is very good at just kind of bypassing Thing in the Ice. And just going over the top of this like blue red kind of interactive kind of comboy deck that's like not extremely fast, but also not extremely interactive, but sort of somehow gets away with being a, a, a profitable mix of of both. Yeah, because is, is it Phoenix is like pays on its cards for like evasion and recursion and uh, you know the like the huge. 
uh, creature control effect, the thing in the Ice Springs. So if you if you say none of those effects have any value against me, like you do when you play Ad Nauseum, uh, then you're really, you know, your your opponent's paying a lot of extra mana on their spells for nothing. They're strong. They're I I understand that the Ad Nauseum deck is weak to counter spells, and like the blue decks can play counter spells, but counter spells are just so bad with Thing in the Ice and Arclight Phoenix. <laughs> like it's you put a big cost if you if you put a bunch of those in your deck. Yeah, I think it is definitely worth noting that the the Phoenix deck is really not a counterspell deck. Like they have some, but they're not hoping to play. You know, their 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 goal is not to use counterspells really. Yeah, and often you know Ben Ben hit on something which is that like they it is a deck that seriously loses its clock if it has to hold up counterspells starting on turn four or whatever. Um, in a lot of cases, right? Like. It, it has all these cantrips it wants to just be playing and tapping out for and bringing back as it phoenixes with. Um, so if you, if you are playing ad nauseum, right, you're you put your opponent in this position of like tap out and be potentially dead to your combo, or uh, not tap out and give you a bunch of time to you know get some uh, get some resilience or get two tries at it or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a, a definitely a, a strategy that could work effectively against this. All right, uh, Sam, how about you? Are there any any things that come to your mind when you're here about like uh, sidestepping this thing in the ice strategy? Yeah, so I mean, uh, a, again, a good solution is to just not play with creatures. So, um, but you know, Ben mentioned the ad nauseum style decks. I, I guess I would highlight there's also decks like the one that I chose to play, like were and lantern that uh that use ensnaring bridge chalice of the void um and zero creatures you know a a plan to not kill your opponent with creatures to really limit i guess it doesn't really only limit the effectiveness of thing in the ice it also limits the effectiveness of cards like lightning bolt and gut shot uh in a lot of ways which you know those are cards that they try to use to uh to create this advantage over you that you can you can really get out from under and um and that can be that can be pretty big. Um, you do have to be careful then that you don't expose yourself too much to their sideboard because I think that's one of the big strengths of Is It Phoenix is they have all these cantrips in their main deck. So whenever they and and also Snapcaster Mages usually. So whenever they board in a uh, a sideboard card, they often are really good at finding it and get to use it multiple times thanks to Snapcaster Mage. So that's why I think decks like Lantern which are really good at preventing players from drawing a particular card, or decks like War Prison, which are good at locking out a whole class of cards. Like, for example, if you play a Chalice on one, even if they have a Shadowstorm in their deck, they often have a hard time finding it because they don't get to play all their cantrips to try to set that up. Um, I think that is a really successful way to approach those matchups as well. Hmm. And then finally, on this um, this category of getting of sidestepping thing in the ice, uh, we have primeval titan strategies, of which there are a couple of different variants. None of which are, uh, I guess, hugely popular right now, uh, but some of which are, are definitely gaining in popularity. And this, you know, you're you, you're playing this creature that you're kind of happy to have bounced, and uh, well, I guess you're not happy to have it bounced, but you you get access to all this extra mana, and you're not um, you're not really vulnerable to thing of the ice when you're casting and resolving primeval titans, right? I think the thing is that, like, if they flip Thing in the Ice, if they're waiting until you cast Primeval Titan to be flipping Thing in the Ice, then they're just being extremely slow, right? And they're just not uh, not killing you with the speed that they they norm that they need to be, um, because you know once if you're a Valakut deck, once you start casting Primeval Titan, your opponent dies in like a turn, um, and you know you can just you could use the Valakut effectively to it's not hard to come up with a situation where you cast Primeval Titan and you just kill Thing in the Ice with the the lands you get from it, right? Like, yeah, it's or pretty easy to whatever get Phoenixes triggers. your opponent has. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and on the flip side, like, if they haven't flipped Thing in the... Or if they've flipped Thing in the Ice earlier, then they didn't get to bounce any creatures, and your Primeval Titan now is, is going to be lethal when you untap with it. Um, and I think that the amulet deck is actually probably better than like the Volokut decks against uh, the the Phoenix strategy because the Volokut decks can have some issues with like four toughness and then seven eight creatures, whereas the the amulet decks are just like hey here's a Titan on turn three good luck. Um, and I think that 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 sort of thing can be very hard for the is it Phoenix deck to to deal with. 
Yeah, it generates advantage in this. Um, it generates the kind of advantage that plays well against the like the ways that as a phoenix is going to attack you back, right? Yeah, it's like they get a bunch of tempo from flipping thing in the ice and bouncing your creature, but you also just got to search for a bunch of mana, like right. So the tempo doesn't hurt you nearly as much if you just recast your titan. Yeah, the the bounce effects against the titan definitely not a not a winning game plan. Um, yes, okay, so that's. That's another deck of the, of these four that we talked about. Um, are there any that you think are particularly like difficult, like poorly positioned against the rest of the field, uh, or poorly positioned against the other decks that are well positioned against Is it Phoenix? Or do you think that any of these would be good choices uh, going into a modern tournament? I guess Sam, you've already answered that you liked War Prison and you'll run it back potentially. I haven't been terribly impressed with uh, Valakut. I think the I think Amulet kind of covers a lot of the same space that you would hope to cover with Valakut and probably does it better for the most part. So it's something like a strictly better deck? It's kind of like Amulet is to Primeval Titan as like Death Shadow is to uh, what's a good Jund card? Tarmogoyf, I guess? I don't know. Like You took Jund and then people made it into Death Shadow Jund and then all of a sudden it got way better because you had this really strong proactive game plan that you could just like combo people out with Death Shadow. And I guess it sort of sounds like Amulet is the same way, where the Volca decks are like these slow mid-range decks, which sort of have a combo kill, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's not a fair comparison, actually. I guess the, the Volca decks tend to be more combo-oriented. All right, so that's that's one of our kind of high-level ways to attack Is It Phoenix. What, you didn't you didn't ask me if I thought one of the decks was poorly positioned? Well, you know, you were talking for like five minutes there. I figured if you had anything important to say, you would have you would have gotten around to it. But okay, well, well, what do you think about these why, ones? Why would you possibly... You, you didn't believe that. I don't believe you. Um, I think, like, I do really like how Ad Nauseam plays against, like, the top, top decks of, like, Dredge and, um, and Is It Phoenix. But I think that that deck is very poor against humans which is probably like the next most popular deck. And it's also poor against Hardened Scales and Affinity, which are like Ink Moth combo decks, uh, which it has trouble with. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure that uh, that you can really justify cat playing Ad Nauseam unless you're very confident that you're going to be just going to be facing Phoenix after Phoenix. Yeah, I, I think my big beef with Ad Nauseam is that it doesn't, it's not as inherently powerful as a lot of these other decks. Like it's an okay deck, but it's not doing something so strong that I, I feel like you need to play it. I mean, it's doing something pretty strong. Like two card combos are pretty good. I, I don't. I don't really agree with that. To be well, I what you said. To be I don't know. I think that that like it's a non disruptive combo deck that involves like it does have a two card combo. You're right, but they're both very expensive cards. Well, one of them costs one mana. Well, sorry, add not like the the combination of them is very expensive, and they can't be played one after the other, like the Splinter Twin combo. Yeah, and you and you just don't have the access to the interaction. That's that's the part that really sort of sours me on that experience is not having the good interactive cards to go with it all. It, it certainly is no Splinter Twin. I will agree with that. Hmm. All right, so that's that's that strategy. Uh, Sam, what's the next kind of big, big way we have to attack? Is it Phoenix? So the next thing we have on the list here is high answer density. Um, and also, I guess, uh, the right kinds of answers. I think a lot of people probably have now had it beaten into them that Rest in Peace is not particularly good against Is It Phoenix. So that's one thing to note is that you really need answers that attack from the angles that you're actually looking to attack them on. Um, like a bunch of regular removal spells doesn't work against Phoenixes, obviously. Rest in peace leaves you vulnerable to thing in the ice. Um, but if you have the right kinds of answers, like all exile removal, um, like blue-white control, for example, I think that can give you a, a pretty solid edge against the Phoenix deck. And I think I would expect blue-white control to perform pretty well against Phoenix. Yeah, I think if you just show up with like Path to Exile and Detention Sphere, uh, I think you'll do a, a no creatures in your deck. I think you'll do a very good job of beating them. Like they only have like twelve threats in their whole deck, right? It just doesn't yeah. seem that difficult to me to just run them out of ways to win the game. It's a deck, yeah, and and also it's a deck where you by like by playing that strategy, you're also getting some of the benefits that we were talking about before. Of like like you also are good against thing in the ice by when you're playing this like blue white deck that doesn't have any creatures for them to bounce. Um, you just love for them to play a, a creature with suspend. Um, 
and you're happy with all these lightning bolts and gut shots in their deck as well. So uh, in game one in particular, you you get the advantage that control often gets against decks with removal. Um, how does the sideboard games though? How do you, how do you envision that would go in this matchup? Um, I mean, I think the blue white should still be favored, right? Like you can you can pick up like some celestial purges, um, maybe like some life gain cards to buffer uh, your life total so you don't get like burned out. I mean, I think the easiest way to lose is to have your like opponent just return a bunch of phoenixes and you don't have enough exile effects to deal with them. Um, but I, I don't think it'll be that hard to just have all of your bases covered again. Like, I don't, they don't even get to bring in very good cards. They get, like, what, like, a spell pierce or a dispel or something? Yeah, and those aren't even that particularly, uh, scary for you, I guess. Like, they, they are if they get a good draw, of course, like, and they can use it to protect their board. Um, yeah, I, I would, I would put, I would bet on blue white control being favored both pre and post board. Okay. Um, with the only caveat being like you're playing, I think, a worse deck overall. Like the power level of your deck is lower. The Phoenix deck is more consistent, and playing plays better cards in general. So you can still lose, but I think the blue white control deck is favored for sure. I think that's one thing to keep in mind with with all these decks we're talking about. You know, you you have to keep in mind that you are taking a power level hit when you choose to play a deck that's not Phoenix. I think. I think it's just sort of proven that it is the most inherently powerful of the things going on. So that's a, that's very important to keep in mind that you want to be picking a strategy that is still abstractly powerful because even though Phoenix is the most popular deck and you know even uh, the 20% number I think undersells how good it is and how often you'll play against it, when you are doing well in a tournament because it will you know will occupy a relatively high percentage of the winner's metagame um but you still need to be sure that you are going to be able to beat the people playing you know devoted druid combo humans whatever just all, all kinds of different decks that people will show up with for sure all right another deck that has historically been very high on the answer density uh metric has been jund um jund of course nowadays not a deck you see all that much of but kind of success succeeded by black green mid-rangey strategies is this another deck that you think could succeed against is it phoenix uh because of that aspect of it yeah so i think well i'm not sure if you actually want to play jund i'm not sure what the card lightning bolt is doing for you right now that is particularly valuable it seems like you know if if the metagame looks like Phoenix decks, Dredge decks, neither of those are particular. You know, do you particularly want? Um, do you particularly want lightning bolt uh, against, lightning right? bolt against yeah. and against uh, the other decks that we were outlining that are attempting to dodge? Is it Phoenix or you know beat? Is it Phoenix through these sort of more ingenious methods? Um, Lightning Bolt is also not going to be particularly effective. You know, if people are trying to not play very many creatures and not play creatures that Lightning Bolt interacts with, um, it doesn't seem like that's doing much for you. So I think just straight green-black is probably where you want to be. Um, getting to use field cards like Field of Ruin can be pretty nice. Um, is it Phoenix typically packs Blood Moons in the sideboard, so getting some resilience to that by having a better mana base uh, is definitely important. Um and I think that deck is going to be able to pretty effectively use its uh, use its resources to to take on Is It Phoenix in this case, because you have a lot of ways to interact with the graveyard between Scavenging Ooze, Kalidus, Nile Spellbomb, um, and then you also have really solid removal spells and creatures that are good with, good against Lightning Bolt in uh, in Tarmogoyf, and you know maybe Scavenging Ooze if you wait to play it, Kalidus. There's, there's a lot of options to sort of try to get around uh, to get around the lightning bolts out of the Phoenix deck. So that's that's a deck that I'm interested in trying as well. Yeah, I think it's worth it to note here that like, you know, this is not a deck that avoids Thing in the Ice, right? Like Thing in the Ice is, act- is very is, vulnerable to Thing in the Ice. Yeah. yeah, Thing in the Ice is actually pretty good against black green midrange, I think. Like it is a, a way to deal with like Tarmogoyf and and Scavengers and and whatnot. But um, I think the important difference here is that the black green mid range deck is just very good at killing thing in the ice. 
So it's like not nearly as big a problem as it is when you're playing like hardened scales or playing humans or something like that, where, you know, you have like, in hardened scales case, you have one answer to thing in the ice, if that, in your entire deck, or you have to like make a 4-4 ballista or something. Um, and otherwise you just lose the game on the spot, basically. And humans has like some reflector mages and that's it. Uh, like, so it's, it's, it's sort of a, a really big difference here when you get to put, you know, Fatal Push, Abrupt Decay, Assassin's Trophy, Liliana, all these cards in your deck that just flat out annihilate thing in the ice. That's definitely, definitely a fair note. Um, so do you think that that would, that brings this deck into like, into range of being good or not good against Phoenix and also against all these other decks that we just talked about? I believe it is good against Phoenix. I have never really trusted black green mid range decks in uh, modern. I, I just always think that the the strategy of playing a mid range deck full of answers is inherently flawed in modern. But I, I have believed that because the modern metagame was so diverse. I think tw- a twenty percent metagame share is something we like unheard of in modern. And so I think that if the metagame continues going that way, then you could reach the point where there's few enough decks that black green midrange could actually be good hmm. i see so this is this is something that this is maybe more of a last resort for you than uh the, the other decks we've talked about so far uh for me yeah i i just i can't stand playing with you know treetop village and tarma wife sam how about you uh no this is i this is a deck i'm definitely interested in i think you know it's one of those things where the deck is inherently pretty powerful. You know, you have access to um, just a bunch of strong cards. Tarmogoyf, Thoughtseize, Inquisition. Those are all, I would say, pretty proven, you know, a, a proven strategy for modern. And I, I could see myself playing this deck at a tournament. Um, I'm not... I would have to be convinced that your other matchups are still good, like that Dredge is still good, um, things like that. I know that Pat Cox played this deck at the Grand Prix. He went uh, X and 4, so decently well. He lost to blue-white decks twice, which uh, sound like kind of a bad matchup. Yeah, Teferi sounds unbeatable. (laughs) Right. Well, he had four Assassin's Trophies in his deck. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah, um, one of the things he actually noted was that Assassin's Trophy didn't really feel like it had too much of a drawback here because you were um, you were so good. Well, because all the decks are playing so many cheap cards. So like only against the blue white decks is it really a liability. But the rest of your deck has is so inexpensive typically in like most people's decks. They're just full of cantrips or full of one and two mana cards because of the way the format is set up right now. And people run out of basics. Yeah, I guess the cost is less, uh, certainly a lot less when you have four Field of Runes in your deck, as opposed to when you're playing Jund or something where you... Can't... Right, That yeah, that that's another, I think, strong point in favor of, uh, in favor of that. Yeah, we've sort of seen that, uh, back in the day where you would, like, play Ghost Quarter decks that would get people out of their, out of basics as well. Um, although I guess, you know... That particular card is now a, a pretty much a relic of the past with Field of Ruin existing. Field of Ruin is so great. Yeah, I yeah, it really is. Card. Um, all right. So th- that's uh, another kind of strategy we had for attacking Is It Phoenix. So the, the two we had were uh, making Thing in the Ice and like removal in that deck bad, uh, or having a very high answer density for their very relatively low total number of threats uh, in their whole deck. Are there any other kind of general strategies that you've tried uh, and either would caution against or think might work against Is It Phoenix? Um, I know we talked a little bit about Rest in Peace kind of being a trap. Are there anything anything else along those lines, perhaps, that you caution people to avoid? Um, one, I mean, I, this isn't, I guess, a specific card, but uh, I was pretty put off when I was trying to play with Hardened Scales against... Uh, against the Phoenix deck, as much as it pains me to say, as much as I love a good Heart and Scales strategy, it uh, just felt like that deck was also very, very weak to a uh, thing in the ice. You know, it has Walking Ballista, and that's a good way to remove it, but that really is not sufficient. Uh, so I would caution against playing that deck, for sure. Yeah, it's really not a good way to remove it. I, I first At first, I thought that the, the Heart and Scales... Phoenix matchup was fine because 
I was like, well, if they don't draw thing in the ice, like all their red removal is pretty bad. Like Archon Ravager grows too quickly. Um, but sort of what I underestimated is how incredibly screwed you are if they do draw thing in the ice. Like you like <laughs> almost literally cannot win the game if they draw thing in the ice on turn two. And uh, the games they don't have thing in the ice, you know, you still play a game of magic. Like you still can lose even if maybe you're favored in those games. Um, so when I realized that like you could, you, your win percentage in the games that they didn't draw thing was like not nearly enough to make up for the fact that you almost just die on turn two against their one card combo deck. Also, so, their deck is very good at finding thing in the ice. Yeah, also true. Yeah, sometimes you can die when they cast on turn three also. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with Sam. I think Hardened Scales not is not particularly good against phoenix in fact I, I would even go so far as to say it's quite bad against phoenix um and i don't know dredge is probably a fine matchup but it's it's nothing special i don't think all right so that's that, that's kind of some discussion of specific decks that we like or don't like against is it phoenix let's close out our main topic today with a discussion of specific cards uh against is it phoenix and uh, i want to start off here with chalice of the void uh, Sam, wh- what do you... I guess we've already talked a little bit about Chalice of the Void in some of these earlier decks, but uh, what's the deal with Chalice of the Void in this matchup? They just... They have a ton of one-drops. It's, you know... So you play it on one and you turn off some most simple, of the deck. Some simple math. Yeah. yeah, it's just... You look at their deck, it's full of cards that cost one. It's it's going to be effective there. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Now, for similar reasons, we have the card Trinosphere on this list of uh, of individually effective cards against the Phoenix. Uh, one thing I've noticed is that when you make one drops cost three, that's a, a pretty serious increase in cost. Uh, is that a fair assessment of why the Trinosphere might be good? Yep. Uh, but this one is, I think, a little trickier to utilize. I think there are fewer decks in Modern that can leverage a Trinosphere than there are that can leverage Chalice of the Void. So, you know, something to keep in mind. Okay. Um, why is that? It costs three, three for... Yeah, it costs <laughs> three and, you know... Playing with a bunch of twos is fine, but not playing with and, and not playing with ones is fine to some extent. It's it's a big cost, but you can do it. But uh, those decks typically, I would say, most Chalice of the Void decks typically also have a lot of zeros, like uh, you right. know their Mox Opal decks or you know Welding Jar things like that. Or maybe they have Gut Shots. Um, like I'm thinking of the Eldrazi decks tend to have some Phyrexian spells, and a decent number of, of two drops to, to play that are going to get real awkward real fast when you're playing with... Um, when, you're, when you're trying to, to play them with Trinosphere. I think also just one of the biggest things is like Simeon Spirit Guide is so good at playing Chalice of the Void on turn one. There's just a bunch of decks that do that, but like casting Trinosphere early is like not nearly as good because your opponent gets a turn to cast spells yeah for sure it's also harder yeah i don't know all right uh the next card we have on this list similar to trinsphere is a an artifact uh that costs three ensnaring bridge uh also in some of the same decks here as chalice and trinsphere uh this one obviously good because it stops their creatures from attacking you and their creatures are fairly high power as well so uh, it turns on more quickly than it does against the like humans uh, often yeah, Any I mean, dissent or agreement with that that take. Uh, I don't think this is nearly as as good as the other one, the other ones, because um, you know they do have artifact removal in their deck. Like, I get that it's part of a lock piece, but like their deck is very good at cantripping and finding answers to permanents like this that don't like prevent them from casting their cantrips like the first two do. So I agree that Insteering Bridge is effective against them, but it's not the kind of card that you can just put in your deck and expect it to be really good against uh, the Phoenix deck because, you know, if they know you have it, they can just put in a braid in their deck and they can find it pretty easily. Yeah, I agree with that. This one has to be used in conjunction, I think, with the other things that you have going. So, you know, you have to have another piece of your deck. You can't just play an Insteering Bridge and think, oh, that's it, they can't win. Although in game one, that's kind of true. Yeah, so th- this is part of the part of the reason that we liked War Prison as a deck against Is It Phoenix was that it prevents your opponent from like drawing to their answers even if they have some in their deck, right? Because um, it's uh, a high velocity deck that um, that we 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 and the problem with Ensnaring Bridge, right, is that it doesn't actually like it doesn't actually stop them from getting that velocity through their deck and and finding their braid. 
uh, by itself. Also, the the Guillaume's Is It Phoenix deck had has an Echoing Truth in it. So, okay. oh, that's interesting. I hadn't seen that before, but yeah. that makes sense. Seems like a good card to play. Yeah, definitely uh, an effective card against the Incendiary Bridge for sure. Uh, all right, and then the the final two cards that we have on this list here were both mentioned in the uh, in the black green slash Jun section, but they are Scavenging Ooze and Tarmogoyf, um, both large creatures that dodge the removal in Is It Phoenix, uh, and Scavenging Ooze in particular also gaining you some life potentially and exiling Is It Phoenixes being very useful. Um, so what's I guess any any other kind of points about either of these two cards here? I think the idea is that uh, well Tarmogoyf is just like. So they're both very good at dodging lightning bolt, right? I mean, Scavengers is okay at dodging lightning bolt, but it, you know it, it's decent at it. Uh, and I think that's pretty important if you're going to be playing threats that are good against Phoenix. And you know they even have outs to be to dodge lightning axe. But I think uh, you know they're both also just cheap creatures, so you can play them fairly early. Um, and Tarmogoyf in particular, like if it gets bounced by thing and you don't immediately die, like you can just replay it for for pretty cheap mana. You don't have to like do a bunch of work to like totally rebuild a board. Like it's totally possible that, you know, your opponent flips thing, bounces two bounces two Tarmogoyfs, and then you just replay them and all of a, and now your opponent can't attack, right? Um so in that sense I think that it's an effective card. It's also effective at uh just killing your opponent quickly. Um since it's not like they have a lot of blockers or ways to deal with it. So I think that's sort of the axis that those cards lie along. It's like the the difficult to deal with um and kill kill you quickly creature and cheap all right sam anything to add on any of these cards or any any other cards that you'd like to mention in particular against uh arc Light phoenix yeah i guess um primeval titan is one that didn't quite make the list although we kind of talked about it as its own sort of class of decks um and i think that one is definitely still good um you know it's still going to be very very effective uh, so yeah, that that's one I would look out for for sure. Um, a big creature, you know, a creature that it dodges lightning bolt. It has a really powerful effect when it comes into play that usually provides some amount of inevitability. It's exactly what you're looking for. Hmm. All right. Um, any closing words? I guess Benjamin, I will give you the the first opportunity here for any any closing thoughts on is it Phoenix the state of modern. Um, Really, any anything you'd like to, to discuss that we didn't cover here on the show? Um, a lot of people are talking about like banning Faithless Looting because they, they think it's too good. I actually kind of think Faithless Looting is a kind of fun card. So I, I maybe am not, not really on the ban train yet. It is true that Is It Phoenix has a huge metagame share, but that might just because be because it's like a fun deck to play. You know, it's like kind of interactive, um, but does a powerful thing. And, like, is pretty consistent. So, you know, honestly, if I had to pick, like, a deck to be the best deck in Modern, I'm pretty happy that it's Izzet Phoenix. Hmm. Cool take. All right. Uh, Sam, how about you? What's your what's your closing take on uh, on the state of Modern and Phoenix and Faithless Looting? I guess I'm kind of in the same camp as Ben. Faithless Looting does feel a bit to me as if it is approaching what I guess I would call the... Um, the brainstorm space of like you have to really be sure about what you're doing to not play with this card and i think that's a little unfortunate i think i think legacy suffers a bit for having brainstorm be you know so much of what about of what is going on here um and so i could see a world where you know where a ban is a reasonable and correct thing to do i kind of agree that we're not there quite yet but give it another month or two and if things you know if things keep going this way i think we we might be looking at a spot where we kind of wanted to to have a ban happen yeah i think that the if we see the deck continue to dominate then uh that's a discussion that'll be worth having um but i i think that giving modern the respect to you know give it a little bit longer to try and fix this itself um is reasonable and that's what our episode here today was we were talking about ways to do that really um so yeah. yeah, be the be the change you want to see in the world, you know. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, all right, that has been our main show here this week on modern and is it Phoenix? Um, Sam, would you like to end our our endeavor here with perhaps a story? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, this is the story of 
when Ben walked into BK's jacket. So we were testing for the last Pro Tour, hanging out, you know, having a good time with the pals. And uh, Ben Whites was uh, just standing around and approached BK. And uh, BK rolled up his jacket like he was going to rat tail him and then did. And Ben Whites happened to step forward sort of dramatically in an unexpected fashion that BK could not possibly have anticipated, I, I would say. And um, Ben Whites ran directly into the zipper of BK's jacket in a and it hit him in a spot where he would have preferred to not be hit, I would say. <laughs> and he was then he he exclaimed and was jumping around the room and you know that sort of not true. I was lying down as <laughs> I had to sit down. I guess yeah. Happened. Well, it felt verbally jumping around the room. I guess. <laughs> And it all felt a little dramatic to me personally. Um, but one thing I will say is the rest of the team found it very funny. So there was some good that came out of it for sure. So <laughs> this, thank you this, for that, Ben. This telling of the story is not terribly accurate, I would say. I think it's exactly what happened. Okay, Ben, what 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 is different uh, about this story for you? Well, BK had just landed uh like and had just shown up to the conference room and we were all like really excited to see him i guess right. i did forget to mention the part about him forgetting his bag on the airplane yeah that can be another story i guess but like you know after after a little while the excitement kind of wore off and i think what happened was bk was sad that he that no one was paying attention to him anymore and so you know he he just twirled up his jacket and just you know hit me in the nuts with it <laughs> Well, wow, that's a very uncharitable telling for from BK's perspective, I would say. Well, we'll have to have him on here and then he can dispute it, I suppose. <laughs> All right, yeah. So I guess the listeners are gonna have to decide which of the which version of this story they uh they trust. But for now that's gonna be the end of, of this week's show. We will unite again next week for more Allied Strategies. Ben, I'll see you for Cube this weekend. Nice. I'll finally get to see my friend Tristan. Yeah. There's no way that I would ever sign up for an event and then, you know, flake. So you'll see me there for sure, Zs, 100%. No Kappa. (laughs) (laughs) I don't trust you now. No Kappa. I said no Kappa. You said no Kappa. Yeah. That's the most trustworthy thing I've ever seen. No. No Kappa is an honest promise. Yeah. No Kappa is true blue. Yeah.